0: Once we become a Christian, we are thrust into a battle, but not without help or defenses, as we'll see today on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Imagine playing baseball without a mitt or a bat, maybe football without pads or a helmet or a ball. Well, the same is true when it comes to spiritual warfare. Left defenseless and helpless, we would easily succumb to our enemy, yet God has not left us helpless or defenseless. Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. We're in Ephesians chapter six today, looking at spiritual warfare and God's provision for an evil day. For all the details, here's Pastor Phil Howard now.
1: You well, Patton was a great warrior, and if you've seen that biography, you, you, you're kind of uh, tickled at the hilarity that he's cussing the supply troops that can't keep up with him as he's racing across Europe. And uh, I, I'm going to win this war because I'm fast and I'm furious. Guess what, Patton? You can't win any better than your supply lines can keep up. You've got to stay close to the replenishment and uh, dear believers, we got to hang out with the supply of the power. You got to hang out with God in prayer and his word. It, it, you just, you don't stay automatic. Everything in life is designed to keep you drained. There's a lot of toxic people and a lot of toxic problems that would just keep you drained. And so I used to always quote Moody's line, the only way that a cracked vessel can remain full is to remain under the fountain. You've got to stay close to the source of supply. Don't get out there too far on your own. I've done that recently, made a few decisions. I said, ooh, God, let me undo that. I shouldn't have done that to start with. And he said, you should have. You should have prayed more about it before you chose. Uh, Well, I love, let me give you some other passages just for uh, this exchange idea. I love what he says uh, in uh, Isaiah when he said, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Let's think of that as prayer. You know what that word for renew means? In the Hebrew, it's the word exchange. Exchange. They who wait upon the Lord shall exchange their strength for God's. So you bring to prayer this little little microcosm of strength. You wait on God and before you leave, he said, I'll exchange what you bring for what I can give. You bring inability, you bring weakness, but if you'll wait on me, there's a reward in waiting on God. Don't pray if you don't believe in it. And most of you are already doing that. Don't pray if there's nothing to it. We don't have time to waste. You can watch another TV program. You can get some more edification. Prayer. Prayer is so essential because it does what God said it will do. You will have a divine exchange. You'll come in there with anxiety. You'll come in there with worry. You'll come in there with, I don't know how to get through. I'll come in there, my uh, my tank is empty. My strength is weak. My morale is shot. And God says, if you wait on me, there will be an exchange and you'll crawl in and you'll fly out. For those who wait shall mount up with wings as eagles. You crawl in there. I have no strength, but I'm going to wait on you. I'm down to you. I'm down. I'm stuck with God. I've tried everything else. God, I have no strength. And God says, I knew that all the time. But you needed a month of running on E to find out. I'm glad you're bankrupt. Because I want to exchange your poverty for my riches I want to expl- exchange your weakness for my power because I get glory when I channel my power through people who wait on me he's got the power he's got more power he can't only give it away because you got to show up to get it he's got power I mean he's maintaining the universe Colossians says someday he will unloose the atomic structure of the universe and it will all blow up in a minute because he is the binding power that keeps all atomic fusion together. They say in the atom there is this bent to explode and to just break, but they call it, there's a scientific band on it. That band, according to Colossians 1, is the creator is the power that bands all molecules together. He's sustaining a whole universe. He's got the power to unleash through his children. That's why not by might nor by power. That's a beautiful verse. It's right out of Zechariah 4, 6. Zechariah is out there. Uh, the children of Israel are trying to maintain the wall, build it. The enemy are all around them. And Joshua is tired. Uh, Zechariah's tired, and God says, I'm going to pour oil in you like I could uh, uh, fill it in this candelabra, as you read chapter four, and I will be like the branches. I will put my oil, my resources in you. You will shine because it's not by human resource, and it's not by human effort, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord, that we shall succeed. I find out when we get in spiritual, the evil day, I become blind to spiritual resources. And I know I'm in an evil day because I start losing my courage. I start becoming afraid. Uh, I, I, uh, I shrink up in my soul. I, I just, uh, fear sometimes comes over me or uh, what if comes into my soul and What I need in the evil day is the guarantee there is enough power to get me through it. And God says, finally, my brother, be strengthened. Let yourselves be strengthened by God's power. I think of two stories I want to tell you. One is out of the life of Elisha. An evil day hit them. Elisha was always telling the kings of Israel, where the enemy, we're going to move next. And the king of Aram got upset. He said, why is it every strategy we do, somebody is spying on us? Somebody's telling us. By the time we get there, uh, uh, the children of Israel are already in place. Who is telling them? Someone said, I can tell you who. It's Elisha. Before radar, Elisha just talked to God and he'd tell him where they'd be. He's down there, dolphin. Yeah. So one day, Elisha's down there. He's in his tent. And all of a sudden, he tells his servant, go out and get the paper. And uh, he goes out. And I'm telling you, outside that Bedouin tent, the place is surrounded with the, this army of Aram. This boy runs in real quick. He said, we are in big trouble. We've been found out. Well, let me look at it. 2 Kings. I want you to see how it turns out. 2 Kings uh, 6. Verse 13, I pick up. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I could send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Now, there's only one man down here, but (laughs) they are going to take him out. Uh, When the servant of... The man of God got up and went out early the next morning. That's where I assumed it was to get the paper. An army with horses and chariots, had surrounded the city. Now that's a pretty good sized army. Oh my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Did you know that for every spirit being that fell, two didn't fall? So that for every demon that works on me, I've got two good angels working for me. Did you know that those for us are greater than those against us? That, that he that is in us is greater than he that's in the world. But when you get in the evil day, your faith will just shrink up. And when you see the size of a Goliath and you're not really full of faith and you haven't been trusting God, say, whoa, I don't have the resources for this. I can't get through it. It's a scary Thing to face the devil in your own power. When I think of Elijah and his servant, I have an acquaintance from my youth and I'm a preacher for years. A moving story. I never forget him telling the story that he was pure country, pure country. He was a farm boy from Arkansas. And uh, His folks raised things around Mena, Arkansas, and they say Arkansas is a good place to starve when he grew up there. And uh, World War II comes along and he was recruited. And and this guy, the most he's ever seen is a river. He'd never seen an ocean. He's country, he's out there. I mean, this is back in the 40s. And uh, he didn't want to go to war. He's farm boy. He liked mama. He liked Arkansas. What am I doing in a war? And he said the next thing he knew it, he was on a ship on the Atlantic Ocean heading towards the European theater. And there was a madman over there by the name of Hitler that wanted to put a bullet right between his eyes. And when he got on that ship, got on it in New York City. He got on that ship and went AWOL. AWOL. They couldn't find him for a week. They had bulletins out on the ship. Either he's missing somewhere or he's AWOL. He he skipped out of town. We can't find Charles Fritchie. Where is he? Well, after about a week, starvation drove him to come out of his hiding down in the hole of the ship. He'd had enough food with him that he held off for a week. And so he comes up and he's walking down, you know, someplace in the ship in the lower part of the ship. And an officer happened to see him and said, who are you, son? He gave his name and rank and everything. He says, wait, wait, just a minute. He checks the clipboard and says, we've got you listed as AWOL. Where have you been? You've been missing for a week. He said to the officer, sir, don't you know we're in a war? I'm afraid of dying. I'm scared to death. And the officer said, where have you been? And he took him, showed him in the ship where he'd been hiding out. He said, well, son, where have you been eating? He said, I haven't been eating just what I took with me. I, I haven't gone, you mean there's a mess hall? Yeah. Why haven't you been showing up? Son, have you ever been on the deck? No. But I'm scared. I want to see my mom and dad again. I don't want to be in this war. We don't have a chance. He said, come with me, Charles. They go up on this deck. I know the story because I heard it from him. He goes up on that deck and this officer said, son, did you ever see see those guns right there? We could shoot a shell 10 miles out and hit land. They didn't have anything like that in Arkansas. And he said, by the way, look behind you and he says for as far as you could see across the atlantic ocean there was a convoy of ships he said they just kept going and going his eyes couldn't track them all and he said look here on the side and he looked on the side there's some submarines following the convoy just going along he said have you ever seen then he said what about submarines he said look at this And he began to show the depth charge launchers. He said, had you ever seen those? No. He looked overhead. See those planes? Helicopters, planes. He said, I didn't know we were traveling with all this. I thought we were just out here in a lone ship going against Hitler. He said, son, we've got thousands of men in this convoy. And if Hitler shows his head, we're going right at him. We're not afraid. We're armed to the teeth. We're prepared for battle. You've been hiding out. You haven't even looked at your resources. And that's a lot of believers. They're living in isolation, they're living in fear. We're beat down Christian. We think we're a, a Christian religious ghetto of some sort. We can't relate to people on the job and we don't know how to relate to the world. Oh yes, we do. We are the ones that are being empowered by God himself. We're the people of power in Christ. We're the people that can overcome temptation. We're the people that are headed to heaven. We're the people been set free from sin. We're not a bunch of people without resources. We've got the resources of God in us. Do we not? But you get this kind of martyr complex without suffering. I'm a Christian is why I'm so bowed down. Well, you need another dose. You need to get the real stuff. Get the kind he started with in Ephesians 1. In the heavenlies in Christ. Rich, predestined, chosen, forgiven, sealed. I am an heir and a joint heir with Christ of a royal family, and you are too. But I'll tell you, in the evil day, all you can say is, I was born with a, you know, a target mark right on my forehead, and all the enemy's arrows are in me, and I'm blind to the resources. It's a common attack. And the way he's going to demonstrate his power to you is it's going to be demonstrated that he has invented an armor that is stronger than the attacks of the enemy. So he says, he commands them, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And the devil's schemes here is a word, his methods. It's a little Greek word, methodias. His uh, uh, modus operandi. His way of working on this. Take on this armor and this armor will protect you against his methodical way of bringing fear and defeat. Take God's armor and God's power is wrapped up in the armor he's provided. Now, he tells you you need this armor because you're dealing with the devil's schemes. And in verse 12, we're dealing with cosmic demonic powers that are wicked. And these powers come against us. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Your mother-in-law looks easy here. (laughs) Your your husband ought to look easy. It's a lot greater than flesh and blood. Sometimes we make the attack that person, don't we? And people are not the threat. What happens, people become the instrument of the enemy. And he uses people. But behind them is this diabolic scheme to defeat you as a Christian and make you lose ground. So he says, you must put on this armor. Put on this armor. Now, what will the armor prove to be able to do? And here's the thing. Verse 13, he repeats it. Put on the full armor of God so that when the evil day comes and it comes to all, so that when it comes... And it will come. It's a part of this. When you got saved, you're seated in the heavenlies in Christ, but you're living out your Christian life in a battlefield, this world. You're not home yet. So we are engaged in spiritual conflict. Put on the full armor of God so that when that day comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. See, it's not to defeat the devil. Yeah, forget that. Only Christ is going to do that. It's keep you from being defeated. It's defense. Now, He's giving you one offensive weapon, which is the Word of God. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians, and I'll show you how this armor works and where it works. Because I'll see believers quote this Well, I've taken on the armor. What is it? Well, I've got the breastplate on, and I've got the girdle of, you know, and I've got the sword. You've got to transfer it from the physical. Where do you, where is this armor fitted? The analogy is the body. It's to be fitted to my mental processes, to protect my mind in these categories. And watch what he says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse four. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have, the weapons we fight with, have divine power to demolish strongholds. Huh. What kind of strongholds? We demolish arguments. And it's really the word logical thoughts. We destroy thoughts. And he calls it all, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You see, we don't wrestle after flesh and blood and our weapons are not carnal or fleshly, but we engage in a battle for right thinking and we cast down mental strongholds. We uh, dismantle the old way of thinking the old way of thinking, you mess with me, I want to hit you back. Or you mess with me, I'm going to be angry, bitter, whatever. Uh, the old me, maybe pride. A-, a liar. Oh, all of us have been good liars at one time or the other. Lies a way of life. It's a way of being a good American. Lie about everything. Stealing. Accusing. Uh, ragging on people. Slandering people. Never got a good word to say about people. Blaming people. Where's all that? And then you get saved. You say, I've got a whole stronghold of weird family thinking. I only know how to act the way I was raised. Well, the way you were raised were by unbelievers, perhaps. Or whatever lifestyle. And now all of a sudden, God says, I want to form a new way of thinking And I've got to teach you how to war against wrong thinking, dismantle it, and put in its place the armor, right thinking. That will protect your mind in these categories. And the goal, the goal is to keep you standing. To just keep you standing and not give any ground. Now, he's going to tell them what they will take. And we'll look at that and develop it next Sunday and Sunday night. I want to get through this section And look at what this armor looks like. Verse 14, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now that's that's the word picture for you. The belt, the waist, the soldier. But what is the armor? Truth, isn't it? Look at it. Put around you. If they didn't have that belt just right, that's what they hung all the, the weapons on. You had to have that just right. So he says, in the analogy, I want you to be prepared for battle by having on this girdle or the belt that we can hang truth on so that part of your mental defensive weaponry is I'm committed to truth. Truth instead of the liar, deceiver, accuser. Truth will determine what I think and how I act. Truth. Then he goes on and he says, I'll put on the breastplate of righteousness. And what would be interesting as we develop this, what kind of righteousness is this? Imputed righteousness that we get in justification? Or is it the way we act in righteousness? And your feet fit it with the readiness that comes from the gospel. Besides just taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. So we've got faith. The gospel of peace, righteousness, truth. Take the helmet of salvation. God's deliverance of you from all aspects of sin. And take the sword of the spirit. We get this word you hear it on these broadcasts. Haremah. Two words for word. One is Logos. Logos would be the whole book. Harema is a particular utterance out of the book. You take particular utterances of God and learn them. Turn the stones to bread. Christ comes back, not quoting all of the Degalogue, not all of Deuteronomy, not all of the Pentateuch. He comes back with Deuteronomy 8.3. Man shall not live by bread alone. That one quote was enough for the devil to scatter.
0: Pastor Phil Howard here in our series, God's Design for Life, getting a clue, an understanding, an idea of just how much God really loves us and the design that he has for your life and mine. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, and as we conclude our time together today, we're mindful of the fact that there might be those of you who would enjoy hearing this program again. As always, we have copies available on CD. Simply call or write to us or stop by our website. You can reach us by phone at 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. Or stop by our website, truthfortodayradio.org. As you contact us, please bear in mind that we do continue this radio broadcast here on this station through the generous support of Truth For Today sustainers, folks just like you. With your dollars, as you partner with us financially, we'll provide to you, as our way of saying thanks, a quarterly newsletter, a -a once-a-year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional. It's all available for you as you partner with us financially. For more information, give us a call. Our phone number, once again, is 855-833-9864. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.